Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. One time I was asked, hey Josh, why are you so weird? And I responded like, on the fly, well, I've seen every Twilight Zone episode like five times, that's going to have an effect on you. <laughs> so this episode is going to be my 10 favorite Twilight Zone episodes. And of course, these aren't my favorite favorite, but I'm sort of just picking some out that I remember having like a, a very uh, powerful and lasting effect on my mind. So the first one I have here is Nothing in the Dark. And feel free to like write these down if you want to check out these awesome episodes. But yeah, Nothing in the Dark. And it's about this old woman who is getting older and she doesn't want to die. And she finds herself face to face with this person at the door. And it's this handsome, you know, Robert Redford, you know. He's a policeman and he's wounded. Like, you gotta, you gotta help this man. Like, you know, this is like, what, the third uh, amendment quartering soldiers or, or something like that. I can't remember. I think it's in the Bill of Rights or <laughs> where like you quarter soldiers. I can't remember, but you'd want to let this guy in, right? This old lady, like you could trust him. And this old lady skeptical, like, I'm not going to let this guy in my house. But eventually she does. And he grazed her arm. And it comes to find out like, oh, you know, She's still alive, so he's not so bad. But in the end, no, no, he is the angel of death. He's Mr. Death himself. She's dead. But there was nothing to fear. You see, it was nothing. And that's interesting because people fear death, but maybe death is something, like I said in earlier episodes, it's one of the main goals of philosophy to die well. And I have a poem by uh, Clarence E. Flynn, and it goes, Why do you fear me? I am your friend. I but guide travelers around the bend. Lead them to freedom from time and age. Help them start writing on a new page. Seek for me never. Keep your course true. And when I am needed, I will come to you. Then I will show you roads without end. Why do you fear me? I am your friend. This next episode, the second episode I'm doing, is two. Why'd I pick two? Just because it's convenient. <laughs> but it's also really good. The message, in essence, is this. There are two people from different warring factions. And this is like the end of the world. And no one's on the street. There's rubble everywhere. Bombs have been dropped. Like this is it. This is like apocalyptic World War Three. But there's this man and this woman. And the woman's extra skeptical, which is kind of funny. The woman is the most aggressive and skeptical. But in the end, it's just like, no, we're not warring factions anymore. We're just a union. Well, let's, let's fall in love. Let's be together because we're all we have. And it's true. Let's not fight. Let's be together. We're all we have. Stunning. It's, it's so simple. It's important. And there's not a lot of dialogue. There's only a few lines throughout the thing. And they're just those two being weird, apocalyptic soldiers. It's so, it's so good. But to distill that kind of view out, to, to view conflict that way is so brilliant. And I like it. And of course, we got the monsters are due on Maple Street. In my third analysis, the monsters are due on Maple Street is this, uh, not so much as a whodunit, but as a you done it. It's this big conspiracy blame thing where people distrust each other. It's the distrust and this sort of epistemological seeming method where people play on this paranoia and, and the disintegration of trusting your neighbor. It's essentially they think that one of their neighbors, you know, is is like an alien or something or or, you know, they're this traitor and they flesh out like, okay, who's responsible? Like who is off here? You know, like, who's messing with me? Uh, I don't want to give up who's actually messing, but in the end, they all turn on each other. 
but there's uh, something to be had and and something's getting pulled over on them and uh, the monsters they don't realize that it's not some monster some alien from without that is uh, messing with everything but they are the monsters so it's sort of like um, what can happen when the power of suggestion is, is stretched enough where people become you know conspiratorial or they don't trust you start asking too many questions about each other and and then in the end they just all turn on each other and it turns into this this frenzy this mayhem where they go from civil and break down into murdering each other and so forth and and um, you'll find uh, who's perpetrating all this uh, at the end I don't want to just completely spoil it coming up at number four is shadow play shadow play is arguably the best story in the Twilight Zone ever it's number four for no reason. I'm just giving you ten of them. So Adam Grant finds himself in the same dream every single night. And every single time he tries to play out the nightmare in a fashion that gets him from not being uh, electrocuted in the electric chair. Because he wakes up screaming every night. It's horrifying. It's a kind of hell. It's like a purgatory. And, and Adam Grant is, he knows all the characters. He pulls all these characters from different parts of his life to play in this nightmare but the nightmare characters themselves don't see it that way they're just they're in their world they have a whole life and adam's whole argument is no you're just a reproduction of life a dream is complete and they can't believe it they just can't believe it and and there's the da and you know the district attorney and then the the courtroom reporter and everything and, and they meet up and they talk about it like man but haven't you come to wonder like why is it that everything is this way? Doesn't it seem like this is sort of like a phony reproduction of some kind? Like, it's a weird elemental play on, you know, is this actually a dream? Like, is this someone's messed up dream? It's like, well, you know, when you're about to be put to death, of course you're going to feel like it's just a, a dream that isn't happening. Like, this can't be happening to me. But in the end, it's like, well, well, it is. And it, this isn't happening. Not really. Not in any real world. You know, and Rod's, Rod Serling at the end's like, do you live here on Earth, or do you live in someone's messed up nightmare? Do you live in the Twilight Zone? I mean, obviously, no. No, you don't. But it also plays on sort of an element of, okay, but reality is sort of like, you know, you're playing into other people's schemes. They're dreaming up and manifesting their reality, and you're in it. But it isn't necessarily yours all the time. Even your reality isn't yours. I mean, these aren't all your plans. I mean, a lot of this, of this a lot of the history that we've been through, that's not our doing. People participate in things that aren't theirs, man. This isn't, you know, we're all a part of some greater plan, someone else's. And uh, a lot of that might not really be the way that it actually is. Like he says, don't you think that this is a little bit too much the way it's supposed to be? And just that right there, you ask yourself, like, yeah, this seems like it's a little bit too much the way it's supposed to be. Like, it isn't supposed to be that way necessarily. I don't know. Play around with that. It's shadow play. Nightmare play. So I think it's brilliant. The next one is to serve man. Now with this one, these aliens come and they're far more advanced than, you know, we are. And they're able to solve all the existential issues. They're able to do, you know, absolutely everything for us. And, um, but in the end, their book, the, the book that they give us is called To Serve Man. And of course they serve us, right? They're ser in service of us, but they're not. They're in service of themselves. They're there to 
serve us on a plate and eat us. We're just food for them. They're there to consume us. You know, it's that high quality meal they targeted Earth. So it's interesting, and it gets me thinking. Well, how many like it's like the road to hell can be paved in good intentions. Like you can meet people that seem to really be for you and have the best intentions, but in the end, man, they just wanna. They're not friends, man. <laughs> no matter how much you want want them to be or whatever, it's like they're there to freaking eat you. Not all friends. Um, are good for you they're parasitic or they're there to just really consume your energy or just to eat you alive man like and there's that parallel that you could draw but you could even go into it even more i'm sure but it just goes to show on one level if something could be good for you then on a level it could it could serve a whole other dimension as well for themselves very good this next one is called a hundred yards over the rim now this guy he's struggling he's out in the middle of the desert it's 1847, there's a small caravan of wagons, and his little boy is very sick. And they can't turn back to Ohio now. I mean, they're 1,500 miles away from Ohio. They need to make it, you know, <laughs> across, you know, to the west. And these pioneers, they're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're thinking of, of turning back. And he's like, if you turn back now, your bones will be bleached on some desert, or you'll be scalped, or you'll be killed you will die of, uh, on some mountain pass it's like you're not going anywhere you have to go forward it, it we we have to go nowhere but forward there is no turning back but they're at a point where it's like man we need water <laughs> and there's this guy he's like who ha who has this iron will it's like you know he's the leader here it's like no we've got to go forward and i'm trusting my intuition we've got to go forward and there is no turning back and it's this situation he's like i'm going to check out what's over the rim and see if we should we should go that way so he goes over the rim, about 100 yards over over there, and he sees power lines. He's essentially seeing 1959, you know, 1960 when this episode came out. He's in the modern era, so to speak. He looks back, and there's there's no wagons. He's gone forward into time. So he, you know, kind of messes around. He discovers, like, man, it's just this frontierman in the future. Like, what the heck is this stuff? Like, this is crazy. I'm in the future. And times were a lot different, you know, in the 1800s than they were in the, the mid-1900s, that's for damn sure. He encounters a truck, and, and he finds a, a local gas station, and he gets penicillin, because his kid's sick. And, you know, he discovers that it's September of, of 1964 or 63 or whatever. And it's funny that it's September, because September is the sign of Virgo of health. <laughs> and I guess his son becomes famous and does vaccine research. And so there's like that element that, that I noticed in the episode that they're in, it's in the season of Virgo and it's about health. So you could kind of look into that like, oh, okay. But um, yeah, his son's going to do great things in the field of healthcare. So he's bringing back the penicillin and, you know, they want to keep him here because they want the authorities to sort of check him out and everything. But he's like, no, I got to go now. And they kind of don't let him, but he rifle butts the, one of the dudes and flies out of there and the police are chasing him. And he make, he drops his rifle and he makes his way over the rim. In the end, you know, the kid heals and they find the water. You know, there's a natural spring that was mentioned uh, during the episode. Like, yeah, there's a natural spring over here. So he probably finds that natural spring. They go on and they survive. They make it. And the son survives and does his thing, of course. But it's so interesting. It's like him going back and seeing his son in the future prevail. It's like, yeah, well, I'm supposed to bring this back. This is why I'm here. My son's going to do great things. And I came here to get this to help him and make it as a pioneer to the West Coast alive. That's such a gripping story. That's so cool. <laughs> and they see the rifle, and it's like this rifle's been sitting there for a hundred years, and then he just dropped it. It's kind of funny. I like that. That's really trippy. That's definitely one of my favorites. The Obsolete Man is about this librarian. 
And you know, and it's this dystopian future where they have like this judge system where they tell people you are obsolete. You know how everything becomes obsolete in the future and, and then there's librarians and no one reads anymore. That's what's cool about this is who do you know who actually avidly reads? We're not, we don't value books and we don't value being literate. And like literacy is a big problem nowadays, but why? I mean, even people being informed by podcasts such as this, I'll oh, thank you. There's not a lot of that. I'm sure there's not. I mean, may maybe, but as in terms of, you know, being informed on the best things and being engrossed in some of the greatest minds that have ever lived and being well-read and literate, that's, that's so rare now. And just the fact that people ban books and they don't like things, they burn books. In any dystopian novel, whether it's 1984 or otherwise, is, there's no books, you know? And, and of course a librarian's going to be obsolete. And so what this librarian has as a last wish is, you know, I want the Grand Chancellor, the one that tells everyone they're obsolete at the top, to come down and have a chat with them on live television in his room. And what this librarian does is he puts a bomb in the room. He's like, yeah, I want you to sit here with this bomb in the room. And then he, he essentially exposes this uh, chancellor. And this chancellor cries like a baby, like, let me out of here in his last moments. And the, and the librarian is there and gets blown up. And, and in the end, he probably gets it, you know, or whatever they do to him. In the end, like, he's a dead man because he's obsolete now. The Grand Chancellor is now obsolete, and I thought that was such an interesting power play. That was so cool. I think it's an important lesson also to think that all these societal orders and these, these edicts that are put in place somehow render everyone else obsolete by their own decree is, is a tyrannical and should be looked at. The meek among you, the obsolete among you, are actually the ones you should look up to. This next one is what you need. It's this little man who's carrying all these little interesting items. And he knows what people need. He just gives them things that sort of align with what it is that they need for the future. It all comes into alignment. Whatever they give, serendipitously, it just works out correctly. And um, this other guy, he's just such, oh God, he's such a bastard. <laughs> he's this sour dude that just is picking on this old man that's delightful, that gives people what they need. Long story short, the, the bastard starts harassing him and saying, like, give me more stuff. I want more stuff. I've had the crummy end of the stiff. And he takes it out on this guy. And, you know, he gets caught in an elevator shaft by a scarf, and he has to cut himself free from the scissors that the man gave him because that's what, what he needed. But in the end, basically, he gives him slippery shoes and walks across the street, and then a car hits him. <laughs> so the, the man's like, you know, in particular, this is what I need because... I saw death in my future. <laughs> it's sort of like, yeah, get the hell out of my hair, you bastard. Some people just... And what's interesting is what I got from it is some of these bad people that prey on really good people that spread a lot of goodness, those people need to just go. <laughs> you know, there's no justice system for it, but in the Twilight Zone, there's sort of a justice system that says like, you know what, I think there's just been enough of you and you just need to like go. <laughs> there, there can't be more of you. And that's exactly what the man needed. Now I think we're at number nine. I know I haven't announced it, but yeah, it's, it's nine. Even if I did nine, would you have really reflected if I numbered them off? Probably not. Anywho, I don't want to be a bad person and give you nine. I came to give you ten. So the old man in the cave, I think, is one of the best Twilight Zones because in this age, a lot of people are instant gratification. And they don't recognize that it takes time. It takes understanding and in careful observation to make good decisions for everyone. And we've seen this with the pandemic. It's like, oh my gosh, do who do we rely on? And what the old man in the cave is, is you got the authority in, in the group. And this is post-apocalypse, you know, set after a, a bomb probably blew everything to hell. And 
you know, it's sort of like two, but it's like, you know, World War, post-World War Three, and there's this guy who gets answers, and they're the, like the only people alive, or one of the only people alive on Earth, because they've made good decisions, and there's these kind of punk military people that come in, and they're like, we well, you just gonna listen to this, you just gonna listen to this guy? Like, you guys haven't lived, you know, why don't you live, you know, live your life, like, this isn't living, like, well, we've made the right decisions, and we've stayed alive, so it does kind of play on the whole thing, like, well, do you want to just survive or do you want to live? And some people would give up their their actual mental facilities to to live, to feel like they're alive rather than to, to survive. So there's this balancing out between loving the fact that you're breathing and making the correct decisions so that you remain breathing. So what's more important sometimes in situations is it make the correct decisions and survive or throw caution to the wind and possibly die. And the old man in the cave is a computer. I view it as the internet. There's information here. The old man in the cave also sort of resembles like God. Like have faith in what I am telling you. That man is like the pastor and they're getting information from the source and they're giving it to everyone else to make the right decisions. But this old man in the cave resembles God, but it's not. It's the internet. It's it's all the decision-making power that we need, all of the knowledge that we have accrued so far in order to make the correct decisions for ourselves. So, and it's also this resemblance of when you defy authority, sometimes things go wrong and you can die. Especially in the most dire situations, you need to be able to consort the best information. And this is, has been a real challenge. So I thought it was really great. And in the end, yes, people did go against the will of the old man in the cave and ate the bad food after destroying it, destroying this computer that's in the cave. And even his wingman, the, the, the man of authority, the man who gets the information, he saw Jason and he looked at him and he was lying there dead. And I was thinking, I wonder if Jason, because he let everyone kind of trample all over the computer, but it was sort of like Jason saw that everyone else around them were, was going to die and he knew that it was poisoned food. But he ate it anyway because he, he doesn't want to just survive if everyone else them hasn't. He doesn't want to just survive by himself and his wingman, second in charge and, and the authority. It's like, you live for other people. And, and I thought that was interesting. I never noticed that um, before. But when he looked at the one that was sort of his uh, second in command, the one that was most loyal, and he looked at him on the ground and he understood that, okay, he knew that this was poison, but he ate it anyway. He didn't go against the old man in the cave. But he did because there's that element. He wants to live. He doesn't want to just survive. And what's the point of surviving when you have no one? So that's why I thought that episode was so excellent. So I got the last one here. I don't know if you guys have seen The Nick of Time. It's William Shatner. And he stops by this diner because, well, his car breaks down. And he's getting it repaired at the repair shop across the way. So he's waiting around. It's been hours, you know. So he's hanging out in this diner and he, he sits down and there's these kind of fortune telling things where you, it's kind of cheesy. You stick a coin in and it gives you a, you ask it a question and it, you know, it'll tell you a fortune. But all the questions he asks, this thing seems to answer him and he gets obsessed. He's like, oh my gosh, this thing is like telling me, you know, these things that I need to know. It's like, it's answering him, but it isn't vague. And like, there are these things where you could ask a fortune and it'll give you an answer that's kind of like, it cycles through in such a fashion where it might seem vaguely resembling what you need to know, or it might be answering you in particular, or that's how it's supposed to seem. Like, that's the effect it creates, but the thing about it is that line is completely dissolved because it keeps answering him in a way, and he is so fixated on it, and he should be. It just should not. It's too lucky 
to just get these kinds of answers. You see what I mean? And it kind of shows you like, well, in what fashion does prophecy actually exist? Because I think it does. I mean, I've had it where I've had dreams of the future and all of a sudden the next day I'm I'm like in paralysis at the moment that I dreamed of. Like all the things happen in my dream that are happening right now in the future. It's like, what is prophecy? Because I know it exists. I've been through it. So when you have people come up to these, obviously these artifacts that are probably not prophetic, but you're still getting an answer. It could be an unlikely story. It could even be tarot, you know, but they're answering you. They're providing you answers that they shouldn't have. That's why these things seem to reflect, you know, psychically on people. It's like you should reimagine prophecy and what is telling the future, you know. What is future? I mean, is it, it seems to be bundled up in the present. It seems to be like what you're learning is what you already know. There's been that saying, you know, and I've noticed like when I repeat that to myself, I'm learning what I already know. I'm learning what I are. I'm just learning what I already know. You learn things a lot faster and you have the confidence to learn anything that you want. You know, you do already you know a whole bunch, you know, you're a being that is self-remembering and is capable of so much. You just have to believe that it, you already know it. And then when you learn it, you, you know, you will, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you have that capacity. We have a great capacity. We have a great capacity for many things, including prophecy. And I think the thing predicted that he was going to be in danger and he almost got hit by a car or something. And like, and at that point, it's like, man, I need answers. And I can't remember exactly how the episode ends, but it sort of makes you wonder like, man, like what the hell, what the hell is about to happen? It seems like I'm going to run into nothing but but trouble here like what the hell is going on and then you just want answers on this stuff because the future is looming like what is it like please tell me tell me tell me and it's almost like this cycle this fixation that you're unable to break and it's almost like you you, you know it's just this this trap but it is kind of scary it is like man like this this thing is kind of demonic and it's like telling him bad things and these things are coming true and like the more he feeds it the worse it gets like Huh, it's interesting though. It's really cool. And I just love watching Shatner do his thing. All right, well, I'm just going to put it there. I hope you've uh, found this interesting. Uh, I highly suggest you uh, watching these episodes. They're so worth it. You know, each episode is like 20, 22 minutes or something like that. But you, you got the main idea of all this stuff. It's definitely worth taking a watch, like the whole thing. If you have not watched much of The Twilight Zone, I recommend these ones in particular. And like, if that gets you like way interested in it, I would definitely recommend taking off because this is like the best show ever. Like if you've never really watched Into the Twilight Zone that much or have just watched a few, I recommend becoming and like binging it like crazy for the next year, like do it. <laughs> so I, I would just start here or start with one of them or just like whatever. But these ones are definitely one of my favorites. And of course there's many more. I'm just going to leave off there. I gave you what is essentially a, a Twilight Zone episode's worth of time. There's your 10. If at all you do want to actually binge all of them, then fine. But I know that's, you know, time is the essence. So if you do want to spend at least a few hours of your life on, on some good storytelling, these are your episodes right here. This basically covers it. So yeah, I like to share what I'm interested in and I hope you enjoy. I'll see you next time.